1: Hello everybody and welcome back to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. I'm back again with another fantastic loan watch. You guys may remember my loan watch series from a week or so ago or two weeks ago. And uh, I had neglected to do a loan watch and somebody that has so much promise, so much potential and somebody I think is going to, we're probably going to see at Walsall. Well, it'll be tomorrow by the time you guys listen to this, but this is now Friday evening when we're doing this podcast. Um, But we're going to look at Jaden Filagin-Badais, obviously spent last week, uh, last Last week, last season uh, on loan at Stoke, and I've got the wonderful Dan from We Are Stoke um, here with me to chat about Jaden Philogene. But Dan, how are you doing today?
2: Yeah, great. Thanks, Neil. Um, it's great to be on and great to give um, some thoughts from the Stoke fan base on how Jaden's been during his short time here um, in the Potteries. So, I think the biggest thing that Aston Villa fans are looking at is that. Jaden Filagin-Bades
1: has played for our senior team, albeit sparingly he's come off the bench. And in some games, Dean Smith was a huge fan of him. There was rumours that we were going to lose him in one of those what is becoming now very familiar deals of players going to the Bundesliga before they signed their first professional contract. We've seen it with the types of uh, Musiel and uh, Jude Bellingham. Well, maybe not so much Jude Bellingham. Obviously, he was he he did have a, a transfer fee after all. But we're seeing this this exodus of, of young players towards the Bundesliga. Jaden Philogine Bades was potentially going to be one of these guys who actually went to Leipzig, I think it was, at the time. But we managed to snare him, tie him down to a contract. And then as part of his development, he stuck around with Aston Villa Football Club in 2021 moving on to, as I say, to Stoke in 2022. I'm not really going to ask you a particular question just yet on Jadon This, but I suppose the first question first thing that I want to know is, what was the feeling? Did you guys know anything about him before he came in? Were you, was there an excitement about the club or was it a case of, wait a minute we're Stoke City, what are we doing signing 19-year-old people on loan from from Aston Villa?
2: I think the sort of, um, sort of whole image of the club is changing under Michael O'Neill. I think the we, we've we've gone through a very rocky period since relegation. We have gone through managers. We've gone through numerous different transfer budgets. We've gone through numerous different players. We had when we come down, we were so optimistic that we would bounce straight back. We had we we started buying Championship proven players like mm-hmm. Tomit, Benny Kafobe, um, other players like that. We started by trying to get Championship proven managers. Him, so we bought Gary Rowett in, um, who Midlands football fans will be no stranger to. Um, and obviously that didn't work out. And then we tried something a bit different. So we started trying to take from League One. So we took Nathan Jones from Luton, only for Luton to go and get promoted. Didn't work out here at all. He started the next full He started his first full season. I think he ended up getting 12 points in a big selection of games, putting his rock bottom 24th. We ended up sacking him and then we hired Michael O'Neill. And it was just the case of we went from, would, during our time back in the Championship, we've gone from, proven promotion winners to a mix of both young players, promotion winners, and now under Michael O'Neill, we're seeing we're bringing through quite a lot of youngsters from the Premier League. So we brought in Harry Clark this summer. We brought in Gavin Kilkenny from Bournemouth. Um, And obviously, so I don't think it was a sort of um, a shock at all that we were bringing players like this in. Um, But it was definitely right to say a lot of the fans didn't know much about him. I think only ones that had watched our under-23 squad um, had really heard about him because he was so impressive down at our training ground when you guys absolutely um, whacked us about eight 0 I think it was, or eight one, or something like that. He was so impressive, and I think that's where a lot of them had heard him. And
1: it's he—that's he, the kind of guy he is. Even for even for Villa fans, I think he's really gotten. I don't know. I will probably get pilloried for this uh, within the comments, but I think he's been really the forgotten entity for Aston Villa because Steven Gerrard has come in. We don't particularly play with wide with wide players anymore. He went out to Stoke. He played wide left. Now I know he only played he played eleven games for you guys, but um, he did. You know he did did score a goal or two here here and there. But is would I be fair to say that it started off well for him and then maybe it tailed off? Uh, as he's as as the season went on, or was there was there any kind of particular point that you would you know you would feel that that there was a bit maybe a bit of excitement about him, and then he kind of went into the wilderness? Because if I was just to look at, uh, I suppose, just a, a box score of, of 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 how he played and the minutes he played or whatever, that's kind of the view I would get from it. But but would that be correct?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think when it started off, it was promising. It was. We, we, we had our fair share of flair, of flair players in the Premier League. We, we had the Shakiri's, we had Bojan, we had Arnautovic. And I think this was the sort of first glimpse of a player who could actually look at taking on his man without being afraid of what was in front of him. And it was always looking for that next opportunity. Let's see if we can put the ball in the net this time, sort of thing. Sort of attitude that Stoke fans have been wanting for such a long time. And... um you know, to get a player like that, I think after a few games and after the, the majority of the crowd had seen him for the first time, and that's when excitement started to build. And then, unfortunately for him, he picked up a few uh, a few little knocks during his time after the transfer window had closed. So I think it was around February, March time, he picked up his first knock. And then he'd come back for a small period of games where our manager would sort of, you know... Um, sort of manage him really realistically so that we weren't putting too much pressure on him because we'd already got a squad at the time that was suffering quite badly from injuries. And then as he started to get fit again, either injuries reoccurred or just a lack of game time because other players were re-emerging at that time as well. So it definitely started off with, a, with an ounce of positivity. And coming towards the end, I think it was just the case of um, it didn't work out for both parties. I think it was a good experience for him to be in the Championship for this, for this short period of time. If he'd have played more games, maybe both parties would have got a lot more out of the deal. Um, but f- for us personally, um, maybe the game time was hampered by those injuries and it just didn't sort of come back after that.
1: Yeah, and it's that, I suppose that's, that's going to be a concern for a lot of people listening in because he's a diminutive type of player. Like, he's not... He's not a six foot four gazelle. You know, now not granted, not very few, very few wingers that you'll find in the Premier League are that way. But you know, he's he's five foot nine, he's a winger, he's tricky. And uh, as I said at the start, you know, sometimes you might like it's it's very exciting when we see a young player go out to the championship on loan, but maybe it might be uh, it might be better for them to maybe go League One first, then up to the Championship to get used to the rough and tumble, as opposed to having to go to the rough and tumble at at, at a at a higher standard of football as well. And that's obviously without um castigating anybody from League One, because I sur- sure as hell would not be able to play in that league. Um, J- Jen Philipin Bades, like realistically, he's like he started five games for you guys. You guys would have seen more more. Football from him, um, you know, more meaningful football, I'm going to say, than, than anybody at Aston Villa Football Club. If, if I was to ask you what, he, what you felt his best trait was while he was at the club was, what
2: would that be? It's 100%. I think I touched on this earlier, just, just a little bit ago, with obviously the flair aspect of his play. His dribbling is second to none. He can take on anybody in front of him. Um he and think is I and for such a young player, he's not afraid of what's in front of him. So it doesn't matter if the if that this is a seasoned defender who's played at the highest level of the game and is coming towards the end of his career, or if it's a young defender, he's not going to, to hesitate in trying to take that person on. And it doesn't matter how he wants to do it, but he's going to try and, he's going to try and do it. Um and then also, you know, it's just that sort of raw ability that you rarely ever see these days. Now I think um that's his like main sort of trait. Whereas other players you see that they're more well rounded, maybe they're not a big fan of taking players on. Maybe it's the case of they'll take them on for a certain extent and then maybe they might back out of it, you know, look look to bring other teammates into the play. But with Jaden, it's the case of he has such a natural raw ability to, to do that that that's what he wants to do. And I think automatically his teammates who are playing with him and the fans can automatically sense what he's going to do and in that in that sort of sense then in that case it's just to put everyone behind him see what he can do with it
1: i might you you might nearly need to repeat that answer again for the next question i ask you because uh I suppose if there's any would there be any particular moment i suppose that he was with your shot with you guys the, the sharp moment he was with you guys is there any moment that really stands out like once again, looking at the box scores, and and I actually did watch the game against Swansea, and I thought he was outstanding, and it was great to see him get a goal in in that game against Swansea. I think it happened to be televised the day that I was watching it. But um, would that stand out as probably his finest hour for Stoke, or is there something that we would have missed as uh, as Villa fans?
2: Funnily enough, that is actually the moment I was going to say myself. The, Swan- <laughs> the Swansea game is literally probably the epitome of his of his time with us as as a young player. He he was absolutely outstanding in that game. And I think Swansea sort of struggled last season. They they sort of have now followed a similar trajectory to what Stoke did. They went for um a manager who was, you know, quite experienced. Um, you know, someone who'd been at international level. So they went with Steve Cooper. And obviously, then in the last season, they went with the young progressive manager and Russell Martin. And um, obviously that didn't sort of work out for them as much because they were trying to. To learn about their own squad, I think Jaden sort of capitalized on their sort of mismanagement and their sort of like, you know, in a way, their sort of confusion about what they were trying to do that night. That that night was Swansea were a bit all over the place, and I think a player like of his ability, his natural raw talent, capitalizes on a situation like that. That was by far the best moment he he had for us.
1: That's good because because that like if his moments are that high in the championship and and I know you say that Swansea were being mismanaged at the time and they were kind of caught between two stools, but Swansea is still a very um competitive team and you would expect him to be competitive potentially this year coming coming as well so that yeah. does bode well, even given that he had a very truncated time with with you guys but moving moving slightly away from from Jaden philjides uh I want to talk about my one of my favorite footballers in all of football at the moment. Um, and unfortunately, he's not with you guys anymore. And he did move on to Burnley last season. And anybody who listens to our podcast will know, I will always talk about Nathan Collins at every given opportunity because I think the boy is going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, and if he's not, I'm still, I'm going to be like his mother. I'm just going to say, well, you're brilliant to me, Nathan. You're brilliant to me because <laughs> I followed his career from, from like from the earliest day. And uh, Nathan Collins, obviously, um Signed for you guys as a, a, a youth scholarship signed from Cherry Orchard here in Ireland. And uh, just want to get your feeling for him and maybe um, I being hyperbolic or we, what you've seen from him. Do you think that maybe he could scale those heights because he played uh, he played quite a lot of games for you guys. And I know that he was utilized in in very much auxiliary positions at times as well when he played at Stoke, whether it be outright mm-hmm. or whether it be central, central defense.
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boyd were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Thing is, I don't think you're over I don't think you're overstating him at all. He can go <laughs> yes. all the way. To the top, there is no doubt about it, and I think we've been quite lucky with the central defenders that we've managed to bring through in recent years, and uh, and who we're still continuing to bring through. With with Nathan Collins, he was a player that was played out uh, out of right back. He was played as a right wing back. He was played as a centre back, and um, even in those sort of positions, even on those horrific Tuesday nights in the Championship. He was one of those players that, that still stood out and running forward, looking to create opportunities, is a very mobile centre-half. And and I, th- I, um, I think the majority of Stoke fans, me included, were absolutely gutted when he left to see him go. And it wasn't for reasons that we wanted him to go for. It wasn't the case of he... I would happily say if he's outgrown Stoke as a club, as a player, I would happily say... Thanks for, thanks for everything, and then um, obviously letting go on to bigger and better things. However, unfortunately for us, we got in a difficult situation with, with our finances in terms of, um, you know, spending so much under Guy out in that first season, £50 million, and then automatically finding you've got no money to give to these other managers now you've bought in after paying off yeah. the other two managers and stuff like that. So we had to sell an asset, and it was the asset that was most marketable at the time, and that was Nathan Collins, and I think because there was loads of media attention around him. And then you see him go to Burnley, and you're thinking, to be quite honest with you, I was a bit underwhelmed when he went to Burnley because Mm. I'm looking at Burnley and thinking, realistically, you know, it's not, it's not, it's it's a progress in terms of championship to Premier League. However, inside of like club stature and players who you're surrounding him with, it's more sideways. And then to see him now, we're going to be facing Burnley next year and Nathan Collins is again being linked with a move away. But this time, it's to clubs, even that we were looking to sell him to, the Chelseas, Manchester United, Newcastle, Man City. You know, these teams who have now got big money, um, who want these sort of young players to bring through, even if it's the case of somebody they can just utilise, put out on loan, and then sell them for millions in the future. But he is a player that literally, he he he's a player that can go all the way. And to see him when he was at Stoke and to where he is now and where he's going to go to, um, it's going to be unbelievable. I'm currently in the process at the moment of
1: trying to find myself some way to get in contact with the Sultan of Brunei and swindle him out of about 30 million so I can just buy the rights for Nathan Collins myself and decide where he goes. Do a kind of a key adription thing like, like he did with Tevez and Mascherano. That's what I'm Trying to do so. If you ever come across the Sultan of Brunei, tell him I need his phone number and and uh, and and put him in contact with me because uh, um, I don't I don't feel anybody else should get the rights to him other than me at this stage. But uh, <laughs> that's just my little frivolities in my um it's. I was going to call it a fetish there, but I don't know. Jesus, that sounded awful. Um. <laughs> anyway, moving moving swiftly along, you just mentioned about Stoke City, and, and and we'll we'll finish on this as well because I do like to get a, a small bit of info about maybe the club, you know, the backroom team in the club and so on. Obviously, I know Michael O'Neill very well. Was with Shamrock Rovers here in Ireland. and um, Was with the Irish, uh, the Northern Irish international <laughs> team as well. Um assistant manager, Rory DeLapp of the famous throw. Uh, we will never say a bad word about him. If he could only just talk his son, Lehman into signing into changing allegiance to Ireland, I think we'd be all delighted over here as well, because he's going to be a cracking player as well. But what I want to talk about more so is obviously the courts have been synonymous with, with uh, Stoke city for mm. uh, as long as I'm following football, really to, 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 to a greater extent. Um, What's the feeling around them? You know, it's a very colloquial type of club. It's a very, um, very uh, kind of family-oriented club. Obviously, it's there in the potteries and a lot of, a lot of. In, I'm not going to say industry, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of kind of hometown feel about it, about uh, when you go to Stoke City. The courts, what, how much do they mean to the club and do the fans still have, do they still have the backing of the fans even though, they, you know, they have had
2: to trim the purse strings over, over recent years? I think it's, to be quite honest with you, the Coates family are a marmite subject around Stoke, okay. and to be quite honest with you, I don't know 100% why that is. I think the the backing for the club from them is 100% undoubted. Mm-hmm. Um, we know they love this club. Yeah, they haven't got decisions always right. You know, they, they they've hired the wrong managers, they've bought in the wrong characters. However, arguably, some people could say they are victims of their own success. And personally, sometimes, you know, bringing in managers like Mark Hughes and it started to work out. And then, um, you know, it was a sort of a heavily sort of commercialised sort of sort of club. The Coates family took a sort of backward step in the Premier League days and left it all to the CEO to do the most, most of the business with the manager. And the manager would arguably say that the players he signed were always who he wanted. So you end up signing players like Kevin Vimmer and... Uh, Badu NGI and, and, and these players who realistically aren't the best characters in the dressing room and what happens over time is it starts to rot uh, the dressing room culture, the character and this is leads us to where you are today and where we are and we went through some horrific patches last season um, where after certain games you would see comments on social media on our social medias, on bigger social media, Stoke City fan channels and stuff like that and listen to local radio, BBC Radio Stoke and stuff, you would hear visible and and, and vocal sort of, uh, I don't know, vocal sort of words of frustration towards the coach family and some would be towards Michael and Neil as my man- manager. And I just think that you, I don't, I just think if you surveil the fan base as a whole, you will never find a clear sort of balance between who want who blames it on the manager and who blames it on the owners. It's just the case of a lot of our fans believe that because our owners are so rich that they can just go and spend the money. However, that's not possible. I think obviously we know with, uh, with financial fair play or, or profit and sustainability as it's called in the EFL, as mm-hmm. you guys all know when you, you, during your time there, it is a difficult uh, place to sail and it's a difficult place to get out of. And when then parachute payments run out and, and, and the tap, the money tap gets turned off. It's all about being self-sufficient and basically spending within your means, getting free agents, getting loan players and trying to do it the difficult way. There's no there's no handouts anymore. And then the fans, obviously, some fans will blame the Coates family still because they could have kept us in the Premier League if they'd have spent more money, if they were a bit more logical. And then other fans blame it on Managers like Michael O'Neill, like Nathan Jones, like Gary Rowett, and say your managerial decisions in the transfer market, your managerial decisions on the pitch, your managerial decisions off the pitch, simply weren't good enough, and you're to blame for where we are now. And I think it's just a case of right now where we are. I personally couldn't lay blame at anyone's doorstep to where we are. I think it is just a collective sort of uh, a collective sort of situation that has just been left over time with the owners who have just sort of neglected the way they manage things a little bit, and I'm sure they do regret what they did. Um, I'm sure they regret, uh, you know, allowing managers to take such a, hev- a heavy control over transfers and not sort of intervening. And then with managers who come in and have come here for, for, for the higher wages, the higher money, the higher transfer fees and stuff like that. I think all that mashed together creates the sort of situation, both on and off the pitch that you've got to stoke and, I don't see a fix to that at the moment, at present. All I see is that we've got a manager, a backroom staff, and um, who are trying their best to get Stoke back to the Premier League. And But it is going to be hard.
1: And I hope you do go, you do come back into the Premier League because, uh, you know, much knowledge it is, uh, It's almost uses a malign phrase as, can he do it on a wet Wednesday night or a wet Tuesday night in Stoke? People remember those Wednesday nights and those wet Tuesday nights in Stoke, and and people want those back again. And there's a lot of, I know that Premier League has capped at twenty teams, and gosh, I know that I've said this a, a lot about teams like Derby, about Nottingham Forest before they got promoted. But I don't know. I just, just for me, I like the, I, I like the Premier League show representation of all of, of all of England. And yeah. uh, to you know, when I talk about colloquial clubs, and I talk about family-run clubs, and I talk about regional clubs and things like that, you know, the Premier League. When it represents all of Eng- all of England like that, I always think that it's a bit more fun as opposed to having ten teams from London, um, four teams from the Midlands, and you know, mm-hmm. and then six other teams made up of wherever else, and and. and, and two yeah. teams from Manchester or whatever, you know, so, and um, mm-hmm. for me, I think, I think it represents that. So I'm all for, uh, I'm all for regional teams. I'm all for teams that, uh, I would have grown up with, you know, playing in the premier league coming back. Um, and as much and all as I've, as I was ha- harking back to the days of Swindon being in the premier league, when the premier league first, uh, first started and Swindon and all I think I'll be waiting a long time for them to come back, but I think you guys have a much better chance for sure. That is for sure. Um, Dan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time on, on Jaden, Thanks for your time on Nathan Collins. And also, it's nice to hear that about Stoke City, because I I wouldn't have really, you know, I would never have any any reason to kind of pry in under the bonnet and that. But it is always interesting to see how clubs are being run and how the fan base kind of looks at clubs, mm-hmm. because clubs are the lifeblood of a lot of uh, a lot of people and a lot of people work. Monday to Friday, to go to the game on a Saturday. And it's always great to know um, what the feeling is in uh, our own football clubs like that. So I really appreciate your time. No problem at all. I've really enjoyed it excellent thank you so much to everybody for listening as i said that was dan from we are stoke if we do loan anybody out to stoke if we sell anyone from stoke if we buy anybody from stoke dan i will be sure to have you back on again because you've been a mine of information i really, really appreciate your time thanks very much everybody for listening and um, we'll be back again if you're listening to this on saturday as i say we're recording this on a friday evening we will be back again tomorrow with a team sheet tantrum for the Walsall game and i'm looking forward to it mad and all as it's going to be because there's going to be like 95 changes in the middle of game but i don't care we're going to do it anyway and because the football season is back once again thank you very much dan and to everybody who's listening at home all that's left to say is up the villa
0: sports social podcast network